A young boy in Jacksonville, Florida, studies a, a rare and expensive book he found on an expedition into the heart of equatorial Africa and finds folded insert art behind the, the cover that depicts something that would light a spark in his imagination and set off his career into exploration and fantasy. This is the history of 1933's King Kong. Welcome, everyone, to the Kaiju versus History podcast, where we explore the depths below each and every kaiju film ever created. This is the monstrous Miles Griffin, and the dulcet tones you just heard was my fantastic co-host, pulverizing Patrick Brennan. And welcome back to the show for our first movie review, King Kong. Patrick, are you excited? I'm very excited. It's been a long time since I've seen King Kong and I've, I mean, diving into the history of this movie. I mean, it's really enriching because there's so much written about it. There's so much that is (laughs) well-documented. Yes. And, and because we are a little bit more of a general history podcast, we are not going to go into every single facet of it. Um, But we are going to try to give you a lot of good tidbits uh, that basically arm you with enough knowledge to feel like an expert, I hope. Um, uh, well, I, I would hope if you listen to this and you also enjoy the movie, go out. There are some great biographies. There's some great histories of the production. And, um, you know, part of those are just like the history of film in that era. era. Um, I hope this inspires you as it's inspired me. Um, that little short introduction that you heard uh that little boy in jacksonville florida uh born in 1893 was marion c cooper uh which i don't think is like a extremely well-known name you know today perhaps no not unless you're really studying uh, film history yeah but he is the he's the creator he's uh, a co-writer he is the director of 1933's King Kong. And from a young age, as a boy, he wanted to be an explorer and indeed found a book called Explorations and Adventures in Equatorial Africa, which is a great name, is a very rich tome by a zoographer, uh, an anthropologist named uh, Paul de Chaillou. And you can find pictures of it online. Uh, There's a lot of art depictions inside, which is, you know, as a six-year-old boy, I'm sure that's what he was looking at <laughs> more, right. than, more than the very dense text. But uh, it's amazing. There's tr- tribal villages depicted in the art, African clothing, headdresses, uh, depictions of crocodiles. But, you know, he lived in Florida, so I imagine he's seen alligators up close before. But, yeah, in that insert folded behind the cover of that book is one of the first depictions from uh, from a European of the African gorilla, which, you know, is was very rare. There were none in zoos at the time. Um, they were extremely hard to capture because they're a gorilla, you know? <laughs> right. They, you didn't really have like the, 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 the trank dart guns that we have now. <laughs> they probably, you know, if they tried, they, they might have gotten uh, their their butts handed to them in a in a combat. Um, but yeah, this gorilla, you can uh, find images of it online, is shown in a very large scale. He's standing next to a tree and pulling one of its branches down. And I just got to imagine, you know, this thing standing on two legs. Uh, it looks very kind of human-like. It doesn't look like a monkey, you know, or, or other things that you've probably seen at the time. It, it's frightening looking. And I'm absolutely certain this is one of the things that started uh, Cooper kind of down his path in in life. Oh yeah. So let's let's go a little bit into the the history of this film. So yes. In 1933, RKO Pictures released a film under the world that well, quite frankly, it wasn't ready for King Kong. 
This stormed into theaters in New York City on March 2nd, 1933 in the famous Radio City Music Hall, a venue that held over 6,000 seats. It played that Thursday through Sunday night, 10 shows a day, and all 40 showings were sold out, bringing home almost $90,000 that weekend alone, which $90,000 in 1933 is a ton of money. I mean, yeah, but it almost made um, – well, its its budget was – uh, almost it was about seven hundred thousand dollars. So imagine, you know, making back like a seventh of your entire budget in one theater in one weekend. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because RKO they were putting out some interesting films at the time. There, there um, earlier this year, uh, <laughs> obviously because of the the times that we were in i was watching a lot of disaster films and there was a 1933 film that was thought to have been lost that was released the same year as king kong called deluge and it basically depicts um a massive tidal wave taking out new york and it was the first on-screen depiction of the destruction of new york oh wow that that's that's so amazing because um so much of of what has has happened to New York is a real inspiration for Japan <laughs> later on. Um, there are, are several movies about Tokyo being destroyed by a massive flood, a massive wave, including Toho films, uh, because that's what happens in, in the area. There's so much volcanic activity. There's so many, you know, rogue tsunamis and things like that. But wow, I didn't, I didn't know that about that, that film. Yeah, it was, it was thought to be lost for a very long time. It was only, I think, in the 80s where they found like the English track as well as the film, because I think before it only had um, maybe the French track. I, I, I can't mm. remember exactly. But um, this came out, uh, I think, a little bit after King Kong. And so you had these both these massive movies. But I, the thing about King Kong is, I mean, I, I just imagine being at that theater, you know, mm-hmm. when Kong is presented in change at it's at radio city, isn't it? So it's a different theater in the film, but I mean, I got to imagine the proscenium and everything looked very similar. Um, Radio Radio city at the time was, you know, like the entire country was not doing great. (laughs) They, um, I think they had only started showing films the year before to, you know, try and make more money for, for the theater. You know, obviously I think that's where um, some, some huge shows were put on uh, live, live uh, theatrical shows, but yeah, selling out uh, radio city music hall. uh, I mean, it's a two hour movie. Think about this 10 shows a day. I was wondering that myself. Cause I'm I'm just like, man, 10 shows a day. It must've started at 6am. You know, you, you get, you get what five, five max now i think yeah so four four days yeah 10 shows a day 40 showings in total um and yeah that scene in king kong it's actually kind of uh, a humorous scene because there's like people like trying to get to their seats and like what is this this uh supposed to be about a giant monkey that's so silly <laughs> but everyone in the theater at that point's in on the the joke because they've already seen kong in the film itself but um I got to imagine watching it for the first time in, in such a huge theater. I mean, talk about not being ready for it. The world just wasn't ready. Well, for I mean, I, I, just for the special effect alone. I mean, yeah, that that's one thing we're going to talk about a little bit. But I, I'm just trying to like put myself in in a theater seat in 1933 and seeing something that we've literally never seen before. And this is I'm going to say this a couple of times mm-hmm. throughout the history of the show in 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 the early <laughs> years. But I just, I mean, being a child of the eighties and then into the age of, of, of CGI monsters, we're, we're kind of spoiled, but at this time you had nothing like that on, on anything you had made, maybe like the things we talked about last week, you had, you know, a couple animated pictures and the lost mm-hmm. world, but you, nothing like this. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, I mean, as much as I love uh, George Melier, who's a huge inspiration for for a lot of cinema and special effects and things like that, that would come after um, his uh, films, like many silent films, were set up like stage 
productions. They were very Brechtian in like the the angles that you got. This is a dynamic film, and one of the things uh, I will talk about is I'm surprised how well it holds up. Um, the the filmography, the 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 action, the blocking uh, for a film in 1933, and maybe that's my own prejudice because film throughout the decades has definitely ebbed and flowed in 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 different aspects but i i find it difficult myself personally to watch films from the silent film area especially but black and white films as well sometimes and there's you know a social disconnect sometimes for things like comedy and things like that but <laughs> and what is it and isn't okay to say <laughs> yeah but the storytelling here is is great. The pacing of this movie, we'll talk about that, is great. And I really feel like this is the start of a, a special kind of film. And this is the start of, in my opinion, Kaiju Cinema, what we will know as Kaiju Cinema later on, because this is where the screen magic starts to happen. And I think, of course, this is a huge inspiration for a lot of other filmmakers. And besides that, there's the technical aspects. There's advances in cinematography, the motion picture arts that would kind of inspire people after this. Ashira Honda would, you know, watch this film when it was released in Japan and I'm sure get influenced and inspired in a lot of ways. Um, this movie was re-released in Japan, I think in 1952 and was a bestseller or blockbuster there. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sure. Years later, Steven Spielberg would would watch it. It was re released in you know the fifties, and and he he would go to Saturday matinees. This is a classic replayed film for for the matinee crowd, uh, along with Godzilla. You know that even here in America, yeah, and and King Kong was then and still is now regarded as one of the most influential and culturally important films of all time. Uh, it currently sits at 43 on the American Film Institute's list of greatest American films of all time, beating out films like Vertigo, Ben-Hur, Pulp Fiction, and a host of others. So even though Kong has spawned sequels and reboots and crossed the ocean and was reinvented again in Japan and you know, the, the giant gorilla became a pop icon before that phrase existed. And I don't think you can stress how important that is because, I mean, outside of Batman and Superman, what is another character from that time period, from that like short time period that has really lasted that long to that degree? I mean, I, I would argue they're there hardly is any, you know, there are classics and things that are, are brought back, but absolutely part of, like, but I'm part not going to argue uh, the shadow is as culturally significant as Batman, Superman yeah. and King Kong, because that's, that's the thing. Part of it is Kong is timeless because I mean, he's just, he's just a giant ape. There's like, no, uh, he can, he can exist like anytime, anywhere, you know, um, almost like a lot of superheroes are just, uh, <laughs> made more modern and adapted for like every generation uh, like Batman and Superman. But yeah, there's um, like eight Kong movies after this. I think it might be a little difficult, but there are dozens of giant eight movies. Oh, yes. Uh, is, you know, you talk about um, reboots is one thing, but uh, uh, knockoffs is, is a whole nother. It, and for some reason there's like a 30 year period of American pop culture where apes were really popular. Um, and it's definitely starting with King Kong, I think maybe a little bit before even, but like uh, in comic books, you'd see apes all the time. Oh, and they were always used in, in as villains and stuff, even early Batman and Superman. Yeah. Ones. I, it's interesting because I've never been as interested in, in apes. And <laughs> so, so it is kind of, but, but this was a time, like you said, at the top of the show, you know, we're just now really being introduced to apes in a, a large scale mm -hmm. uh, in, ter in terms of, of the West. Um, and, and speaking of let, let's, let's talk a little bit about the entire world, including America at this point in time of what's going on. Yeah, so 1928 or 29 is when the stock market crashed in America and then subsequently in other countries. And the entire world is still 
clawing its way out of the Great Depression. And that, you know, includes RKO. They were struggling. They were looking for a financial hit, which is one of the reasons why they were making a ton of movies and for the most part, trying to get them very cheap. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about King Kong's budget and 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 how it, it reused a lot of assets and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I was looking it up before the show, and this is the year that the Golden Gate Bridge uh, construction started, along with some other projects across across the country. Uh, FDR uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt would be sworn in as president, but also. Uh, Hitler <laughs> across the seas would would uh, take control of the chancellery, and that's, uh, 1933 is the brain of the Reichstag and, and things along that nature. So some good things in 1933, some some very terrible things. <laughs> um, the cost for a loaf of bread was seven cents in in 1933. To to give you an equivalency, a new house, uh, maybe. Five to six thousand dollars. God, I wish that was still true. <laughs> I, I would like to buy a number of houses right now. <laughs> and the average wages per year, um, I, I found this on a few websites, about fifteen hundred dollars. So you save for four years, uh, every penny you make, and you can just buy a, a house in cash. Um, not the case today. No, I would have to save my annual. I think probably uh, twice that, but. Uh, later the year when Kong came out, a uh, prohibition was still in effect. <laughs> the, the, uh, amendment to repeal prohibition, I think wouldn't be signed until December of that year. And this is another fact I just found online. Um, in Japan, they debuted a machine gun, the fastest ever made at that point in time that fired 1000 shots in a minute. Uh, today, machine guns are like four thousand shots a minute. Yeah, so that, maybe that's not that impressive. But back then, nineteen thirty-three, that is that is a huge technological achievement. So yeah, it is a world that is. I don't know. I, I think it's waiting for something to 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 shock it. And um, uh, boy, boy howdy, <laughs> boy howdy, did it get what it, what it was waiting for? Yeah, I mean. Th- I think it's pretty safe to say this is one of the first like blockbusters. This is one of the first really crazy popular films ever created. It is, I think the first to be re-released and it was re-released like three or four times in the next couple of decades, including internationally and, you know, shipped all over the world. Um, was it re-released before Dracula? That is a, that's a good question. When did Dracula come out? <laughs> 31. I think so, but I think, I mean, it's mainly on the back of it. You know, they had to continually produce uh, cans of the film to, to you know, send out. I don't, I don't know. I don't think Dracula hit its, its stride to a couple years later when it was it was like a traveling show because Bela Lugosi was kind of out of money for a little bit and would <laughs> go on stage and like uh, either reenact or sometimes just like introduce the movie. It It's I mean, we have to think about it in the time, the way that films came out, you know, we, we said it came out in New York originally. The film was very expensive. King Kong ended up being 11 rolls of a film. Um, and you can make multiple copies, but typically those copies were, you would have it in a town for like one or two weeks as an engagement. And then they would be sent to the next town and then yeah, it was like a traveling show kind of thing. Yes. And um, it's just so interesting to think about. It's it's so different from the way obviously films are released since um, gosh, I think starting with jaws, that's like the actual first weekend blockbuster where they sent out as many cans uh, to Mm -hmm. almost every single theater in the United States. (laughs) And that's just the way it's done now. And obviously you can do it digitally, (laughs) which is a lot easier, but one of my favorite little anecdotes uh, to the making of this movie is when producer director, uh, Marion C. Cooper boasted to lead actress Faye Ray that she was going to have the tallest, darkest leading man in Hollywood. (laughs) And Ray incorrectly assumed that he was talking about Cary Grant. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the, the the cast, the crew and stuff. But yeah, Faye Ray was already a big name 
before this movie came out. You know, she was a get, um, and I, I believe was a contract player for RKO. But for Marion C. Cooper and Fay Ray, I was looking this up, and then this is just another sign of the times. They had each, uh, I think Fay Ray had. 11 other films in 1933 and Mirren C. Cooper directed or produced 13 other films besides King Kong. Like imagine as big a hit this was, they had like 10 other premieres, you know, over the course of, of 1933. What a year, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I started this episode um, wanting to talk about Cooper because he's such a character. He indeed became an explorer would travel around the world and filmed basically nature documentaries. Um, So very much a Carl Denham character. Carl Denham in the movie is the filmmaker that is kind of a stand-in for, for Cooper and these nature documentaries, you know, he would film, you know, monkeys and and crocodiles and things in their natural habitat, but eventually would start, uh, you know, filming things, unnaturally you know like have um local people like reacting to the animals and create a story with them like (laughs) kind of arranging things to happen in such a way like you know if you're filming a monkey like filming them stealing something very important (laughs) for someone and then chasing them to try and get it back those kind of things and they sold very well they were shorts they were usually i think uh played before or or, um during uh a matinee um And it was in filming these, someone described to him, a friend described to him, because he had never seen them, Komodo Dragon, uh, which is one of the coolest names ever, (laughs) Komodo Dragon. Um, But yeah, these giant lizards that were on this, this island. And he had the idea. The original idea for King Kong was he wanted, well, he had the idea of a giant ape climbing a building. You know, he looked up at some of the skyscrapers in New York City and I'm sure was inspired. You know, what if the apes he saw climbing trees were much larger size? Uh, the original idea for King Kong, though, Miles, was a giant ape fighting a giant Komodo dragon, a giant lizard of some sort. And I think originally he wanted to like film actual Komodo dragons. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, which we'll, we'll see doesn't work in a lot of monster movies later on. But I mean, his original idea was basically King Kong versus Godzilla, <laughs> but thank goodness I mean, he couldn't think, do it. I think deep down, and that that's something I think that uh, they always work to, is the, to have the mammal versus the reptile. It's like the classic monster fight. Yeah, I mean, we, we get it with him fighting a T-Rex, all, right. you know, basically, but uh, I, I, I got to imagine, like, how would they have done it? Would it have been a stuffed Komodo dragon, like, or a, a live action have... Komodo dragon? Would they have put someone in a suit if they had tried to do that? <laughs> I would not want to be that actor in a King Kong suit trying to fight a real Komodo dragon, which are, you know, they're smaller than alligators, uh, typically, but they're yeah, bites. But they, you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> you yeah, do not want to mess with them. Their bite is, it's not poisonous, but it's, it, there's, like, I think there's so much bacteria. There's gangrene like, and stuff, but yeah. oh yeah, but yeah, that was the original idea. It was cost prohibitive, you know, to to go there and film. And eventually, the idea, along with um, his his, I guess, uh, eight. Well, I think it was his uh, assistant director, but he is also given a director's title. I think Ernest B. Shodzak. Uh, they eventually just pared it down to what would eventually become King Kong, giant monster, giant gorilla. Um, takes takes a lady, falls in love with a lady or whatever, and climbs up uh, the building. And twas twas beauty killed the beast. Smiles. Oh boy! <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about this this flick. Yeah, yeah. It took about. I mean, there were several stages to to making it. They they did go to RKO. I think with some test footage for the the stop motion and that's what convinced them to get more funding to to actually film the the movie it looks so good obviously um that uh they they went ahead filming the actual live action stuff took place over eight months in, in 1932 and i think they were still filming maybe the beginning of 33 but uh they use a lot of assets from 
from other movies to to keep costs down. Um, the jungle sets, which are really amazing, like that huge gong, <laughs> the Kong gong, if you will, <laughs> uh, and some other assets um, were from and sets. Uh, the most dangerous game, which came out a couple of years before, the huts in the village tribal village were from a movie called the birds of paradise and a lot of i think the majority of it was filmed in and around los angeles and uh, uh culper city um so in, in in california so i think that's one of, one of the cool things that especially if you're a fan of the films of the era that you get to to notice because this is, doesn't happen as much anymore there's not a lot of shared sets as much these days shared locations sure mm. but and, and there are some American locations that are very, very famous, um, especially in California. But to to have sets reused and and for that not to be a detriment to the film, I think is is indicative of what great filmmakers were at were working on this film. It, it's not it's a spirit of indie film. It is being able to to utilize your budget and be inventive and creative and make the most of what you have and not just be beholden to the fact that, okay, we're just going to utilize these sets that we got from this movie and here they are. They still make it their own. They, I still feel like this is a King Kong set. Yes. And we're going to see it over and over again for better or for worse in Kaiju cinema um, for decades to come. These movies are not easy to make. We'll talk about some of the more technical aspects as well in a little bit, but it requires a lot of craftsmanship, and this movie has it on display in spades. Besides the special effects, besides the stop motion, there's filming techniques that just teleport you into this world. Obviously, there's not a real skull mountain or you know, on, on this island, um, but they have some amazing uh, painted backdrops that they they use uh, the same technique that they use with with Kong um, called, I think reverse projection. So the actors are in front of a screen, a film screen um, that is uh, they actually won a technical award from the Academy of, uh, uh, of motion pictures um, for something that they didn't have a category for, which is special effects kind of uh, they, they rear projected, the the film on the back side of the screen that the actors were in front of. So th this is how you get actors in the same frame shot uh, in front of King Kong. And th that footage is, is played behind them. Um, but the same thing with Kong uh, as, as the island. Um, it's, it's different from the effects that they used for 1925's um, The Lost World, where I think that was film spliced together or laid on top of uh, of other film um this is done in camera it's it's you know movie magic done in camera and maybe it's because it's in black and white but it looks great <laughs> a lot of it looks amazing i don't i think it was pretty cost prohibitive because i feel like if you could get these great effects like every movie would be doing this you know <laughs> right um but i don't think you see that that uh that technology all the time. Um, I don't think we're going to have to go into a breakdown of the plot of the movie. Hopefully if you're listening to this, you've, you've watched it, but I mean, do, do you have a, <laughs> do you have a super fast recap uh, from, from your viewing miles? I mean, <laughs> basically uh, a, a film crew is, is shipping off to, to, to make a movie, except they don't have an actress. So mm. they just find a random poor girl off the street, convince her to come to a island in the middle of nowhere to shoot an adventure picture. They they arrive at the island. The natives are are observed having some sort of ceremony, which of course the the white people interrupt by waltzing up there. <laughs> There's a back and forth. The the chief wants to have uh, Anne or or Fay Ray's character. And of course they won't, they won't give them to her. And then eventually big boy Kong is, is presented after the uh, indigenous people sneak to the boat, kidnap and take her back as an offering to their, their God uh, or what we, we 
perceived to be their their deity and it's this gigantic ape creature there is a lot of uh back and forth between the the creature and and various humans people get stomped on there's fights Mm -hmm. with other dinosaurs it's a long segment of the movie (laughs) yeah it's there's a lot going on eventually they're able to gas kong get him on the ship they ship him off to new york where they're gonna display him as the eighth wonder of the world of course that goes horribly wrong oh man's hubris no (laughs) kong escapes we couldn't control a literal ape god grabs andero makes hightails it up to the 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 tallest building in new york at the time which is the empire state building mm-hmm. um i believe it's the empire state building on that one uh yeah 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 um and then it has a showdown with a number of planes that eventually take him down and the film ends with the the line it was beauty that killed the beast <laughs> there are so many of those elements, those plot points that you just described that are parodied and oh yeah, pooned and copied and represented in so many other <laughs> forms of media. Um, I probably could have told you the plot of King Kong before I watched the movie, you know? Um, oh, absolutely. Well, I, I could have too, because before we uh, agreed to do this, the show, I had recently watched the, the remake. So I knew oh, it was yeah. close enough. Um, yeah, I, I that, wanna... well, it's, it's so interesting. That one actually departs in a lot of ways, but it's also like an hour longer than the original. It, 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 it departs in a lot of ways, and it also stays very, very faithful in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, Interesting. But let's talk about uh, some specific scenes. I because I, I'm sure some people are kind of worried that I just glossed through the movie. That was just you know elevator pitch. Let's let's talk about some of the the things that we noticed in this because there there are some there are fun anecdotes in this movie. My favorite being at the beginning of of the film <laughs> when when a guy walks up is uh this is the moving picture ship. <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, let me uh, give some plot ex- explanation real quick here. Uh, that's the the one that's got uh, Carl Denham on it. He shoots those those pictures that you like so much, right? But I heard I, he's on Hard Luck. Can't fight an actress. I also think this might develop a couple other cinematic tro- uh, tropes here that aren't monster f- film tropes. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows you're square but you've got a reputation like that kind of delivery. Like everyone mm-hmm. knows you're blank, but your blank is, is, I mean, it's an action trope or, you know, you know, everyone knows you're a great cop, but you're, a, you're a maverick, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't realize it went this far back. And I thought that was, ex- I, I giggled profusely when they're trying to basically establish that this movie's going mm-hmm. to get made. Mm-hmm. And um, Carl Denham has this this reputation for well, kind of taking some risks. Yeah, th- there's, I mean, there's some great characterization in this film. It's one of those things that does get kind of buried a little bit in the giant monster movie aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's wild that this movie is paced as well as it is. So I, I've written down here some notes. As we we get into it here, they get to the islands at the 22 minute mark, which is like still well within the first act of the film. The first of, you know, I I would say three acts. Yeah, it's it's paced pretty briskly (laughs) up until they get to Skull Island. And then I feel like it's such a a rhapsody of like. I mean, wild things that happen. I, some of the things are so long that I feel like it stretches it sometimes. If you had paid like a nickel or a dime or whatever to see this movie, boy, how do you talk about getting your money's worth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely worth five cents at that point. Uh, well, so they, they get to the island and they've got the islanders, all the kind of tension built up there. We've already met the characters and kind of you know, we know about their hopes and dreams and we've got a budding romance between some of the major stars and Darrow and um, the guy whose name I always forget <laughs> um, uh, because he's a D bag and it doesn't matter. Jack, Jack Driscoll. <laughs> like I, their, their confession of love is skin crawling to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, they great, but I, I just, uh, Bruce Cabot is uh, Jack Driscoll. Um, I, I don't, think he's well i mean th- they break characters apart and like make some new ones for the 2005 uh remake of king kong and you know 
change characters backgrounds completely for the uh the 70s which <laughs> Kong reboot. I, I, i'm fine with all of that like because i think the things that work with this film really work obviously it being set in 1933 and some of the social norms do not work for this film but mm-hmm. even as someone who isn't a modern uh or even as someone who is not a contemporary viewer of this like i'm not 1933 there, there are some things that i'm like what was that a thing people said like <laughs> or like there's there's a there's also a, a part where they're, they're everyone's having a kerfuffle at the beginning of the film because he insists on having a, a female character in the film to for it to be a, a, a romantic adventure film yeah and one of the guys is like you never had a woman in your pictures before why start with this and i'm like what were you making movies about before that you had no women in them Oh, well, yeah, just like uh, Marion C. Cooper, they're like nature documentaries, most almost. Um, so he probably shot a lot of animals. Um, but like I said, denim is OK. Is but Cooper's. if you have that, then do you, do you have any humans in there? <laughs> um, yes, technically, but probably not many. You know, it's, it's just it's 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 fun to pick apart <laughs> the, the casual sexism of the 30s. And I understand <laughs> that I'm looking at it with a completely different view, but it's still, it's fun to pick on because it's there. Um, I mean, yeah. Talk about feminist icons though. Faye Ray. One, talk- she lived a super long life. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I didn't realize she died only in like 2004. And when she died, they lit up the empire state building in her honor. Um, uh, she as was in, well, they should have in, in dozens of movies, not, not as much TV. You know, she's definitely one of those characters of the film era. Talk about an OG scream queen. Oh, yeah. Like, Boy, howdy. She is incredible in the in the in the picture, but like an iconic scream. There's a there's a, a classic scene in this film, which is um, is very iconic. And it's the first time uh, Denim is doing screen tests with her and giving her direction from off screen of like, you see something up above you. <laughs> you know, he's getting ready. It's terrible. And you're frightened. And then, you know, uh, prompts her to, to scream. It's movie magic. She definitely uh, uh, incredible. I would say uh, she is uh, is right up there with Robert Armstrong, who plays Carl Denham, um, really carrying the the human aspects of this film, um, carrying across the finish line for sure. Uh, but that obviously it's not, it's not called Aunt the Andera movie. Miles at the forty three minute mark of the film is when we see King Kong for the first time. You know, we we this entire time they've talked about like. I think there's a giant ape on this island and we see the huge wall, the natives or whoever has built and this giant gate, you know, to, to keep something out. So his presence is felt, but we actually see him coming for Anne at that, uh, that 42 or 43 minute mark. And from there, it's just his movie. You know, there's very little time. He's not on screen. Yeah. And I'm, it, it's hard to really talk about just, in 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 podcast form how incredible the the stop motion work is for kong without just showing a clip of it because Mm -hmm. i i don't think you can really um i I think it's taken for granted how what a master stroke the the stop motion work is for this film and not just on kong there's that one moment where that nessie looking dinosaur oh yeah uh, eats that guy and it's it's such an incredibly look incredible looking scene but I feel like even if you're not someone who's into old movies, I feel like you you owe it to yourself to at least watch some of the Kong sequences just to see what they did with live action stop motion animation in 1933, because it's honestly, it's absolutely breathtaking. Now, this movie is not flawless with its stop motion because there is a giant snake that looks like absolute doo-doo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's... Oh, there's so many creatures in in this movie. The the is the thing you're talking about the one that crawls up the like the vine um after after one of the sailors that is like the inspiration for the the crawlers in uh Kong Skull Island. The the snake? Well, it's it, oh no, it's not a snake, but it's like a you know a snake like 
creature. No, no, there's a there's a snake that um, is going after Anne right after she's rescued from I think the the dinosaur. Oh yeah, it's 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 nonstop after. Uh, it, it is it is nonstop. <laughs> he gets carried, and and, and, and uh, frankly, it's away. a little exhausting. As great of a scream queen as Feyre is, like you kind of want a break because, like from from that scene, she gets uh, attacked by pterodactyls. And, yeah. and and the, and the, and the, the screaming commences and it can be a little exhausting to hear. Um, but in the middle of like, you know, Kong fights a T-Rex, which is, I mean, it, it's got to be amazing it's, for the time. It's, it's got to blow people's minds. He fights all these giant creatures. He also has an interaction with the, the crew where he <laughs> murders so many people that are on this log crossing the ravine. He like um, stomps on like two different dudes like yeah, in succession. It's, it's it's pretty brutal. But um uh there there's actually some lost footage here of there was supposedly like a giant spider and a scorpion that comes out like they didn't die when they fell down there. Um and those uh some of the footage uh, does show up elsewhere. Some of it is lost forever, but it's apparently so brutal they they self-centered rk was like you should take this out do some other things (laughs) well no that's the thing about this movie is the violence is it's violent Uh, there's a brutal death a couple years later they would start the like the film code basically and like (laughs) start rating movies before there was a rating system (laughs) but this is this is before that existed they were like you know let people get eaten on there's a scene where the the film crew is crossing this gigantic tree trunk. Yeah, yeah. And talking about that. there, there's this great death when Kong shakes the tree a little bit, and mm-hmm. you have this one Willem scream, but then it, it's it doesn't finish. It's just cut off, and it cut it's cut off as soon as the guy like ragdolls onto the ground. It's 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 so well sequenced, and it, oh, yeah. the way it's cut off is so brutal. Like it makes that death just seem awful yeah and and that's one thing i wanted to point out one of my favorite scenes that's one of them um it but it's whenever the 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 human actors kind of are interacting with kong um and on that rear projection screen him lifting the log where there's obviously an actual actor on the physical prop is is so interesting to me but another another one of them is whenever we get those composite shots of they had a giant King Kong arm that Fay Ray would, you know, climb into the hand and, you know, look like a, a, a teeny doll compared to Kong. Whereas in other scenes, you know, she looks like about half of his height. <laughs> um, but that was the footage that was projected behind the the stop motion animation. So he would be in the foreground, which is very different, and she would be in the background and um, it, it would you know, shoot it in such a way you wouldn't see that the arm is not connected to his body. It kind of cuts off, but it, it, it's an effect that is done so well that it really does hold up 88 years later. Oh, yes. I, I, I'm honestly, I'm really impressed. I mean, it's one of the effects where it's the most obvious. And I say, I know that sounds hilarious when I'm talking about stop motion giant monkeys, <laughs> but I, I think that one, you know, is is the most clear, you know, this is an effect. It, it does uh, take a modern viewer out of the movie just a little bit. I don't think it would have in 1933. Um, I also think it's a, a well done effect. It doesn't look that cheap. And again, with with the budget problems they were having with this film, with things getting cut, I think it's a testament to just what creative filmmakers everyone on who worked in the film were because everything kind of looks like it, it goes off without a hitch. And I, I got to imagine operating that Kong arm was a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> well, there's that they, they had a giant Kong head as well um, that they, they created for the film. And uh, as, as, as much as for the time that the stop motion was amazing, I, I'm not a huge fan of stop motion myself. I really love those, those physical set props more more than anything in the the film but it, it's it's the blending of all these elements and the special effects that that really takes it over the top as as a film um 
do you do you have a favorite scene or something that you feel that worked extremely well? Well, um, well, my favorite scene isn't necessarily something that works extremely well. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that just cracked me up. Uh-huh. There, there is a scene after Kong breaks out where he's looking for Andera, and he climbs up one building and just yoinks some some poor woman out of her out of her <laughs> her room, looks at her, sees it isn't her, and just drops her. And, and that scene it just cracks me up. It's not supposed to be funny, but the way it's done, um, and it's not thought like, oh, this looks so cheap. It's just the the way the monster just doesn't care. And yeah. Just, it uh we we get a a a shot of her falling too yes i think brutal shot so i think that shot in particular was one of a few that was added back into a re-release of the film we'll we'll double check on that that is one i think that rko thought was too violent originally so i don't think 1933 Uh, audiences saw that a lot of what rko was right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well there, there's a few and i think the one of the dinosaurs eating a crew member wasn't in the original 1933 film Th- mm. this movie is i mean we could do an entire episode on the 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 versions and the lost footage of it there's so much but yeah that that scene it's it's brutal because he holds this this poor woman upside down imagine getting waking up out of bed and you're upside down in a giant uh gorillas <laughs> and it's just insult to injury and, and she's dropped after that um what about you what was what was what was your favorite scene i mean i really like i said i like all those composite shots i i mean the the, the entirety of the end of the film of of him escaping pulling down the train car uh his height jumps back and forth from like 30 foot tall to like 60 foot tall, you know, from basically from whatever they wanted. And the, um, the directors were pretty explicit that they didn't care <laughs> about establishing uh, yeah. a height for Kong. Um, but like when he gets to the top of the empire state building and is so huge compared to them, like compared to when she's pulled out of the bed, you know, that Kong hand is a 60 foot Kong hand. And then on the street, he's like, He's much shorter than that, but uh, getting to the top of the Empire Strait building and, and getting shot down, it's it's classic. You know, it's I probably saw that scene 15 times in various media before actually seeing it in the movie when I was uh, younger. Um, it's great. It's 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 beautiful. It's iconic. Two of the pilots were Marion C. Cooper and um and, and the and the co-director uh, Shodzak, uh, who who put themselves in the movie <laughs> to to kill their own creation, um, but the the entire third act is just it's just so wild. <laughs> it's uh, um, I think it, that part holds up better than a lot of the Kong Island or the the Skull Island bits and pieces. Um, is there anything in the movie besides that scene that? just doesn't work for you. Uh, I mean, we, we talked uh, briefly about, you know, <laughs> obviously these aren't native indigenous actual people. This is like a, a made up island that doesn't exist, but even that they weren't, <laughs> this is the outside, best depiction. Outside, outside of the social stuff, obviously. Um, and, and I, you know, I mentioned before that the, the, the snake looked terrible, <laughs> even for the time it just looked straight up Duke. Yeah. Um, and we didn't, we didn't, I don't know if we touched on, you know, we, we do get the, the, the classic Kong, you know, tearing up some train tracks. So you know, good. You know, you got, got to have the, the train trains getting blown up. Uh, as for any that didn't really, I mean, the, the, the love confession, all, all the romantic stuff I thought was pretty, pretty poor to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, I know he was, he's a pretty popular actor. I think at the time, uh, Bruce Cabot, but yeah, that didn't work for me either. It's, you know, it's there. Also, why is there a monkey on board the ship? <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's a it's member there. of the crew. I know that's a, a, some weird like sailor quirk uh, in certain things. I just, I just don't get it. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that that was the 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 personal romance stuff is is really what doesn't work for for me in the movie. I think it's it's mm-hmm. written poorly. I think there the characters aren't there, and it's not the fu- it's certainly not the fault of Fay Ray. Um, and yeah, that's what that's the that's that's what doesn't work for me. Um, I do think it's it's interesting to me, 
and, and this will tie into what doesn't quite work for me, uh, that future filmmakers have looked so much more into the kind of romanticized side of Kong when the original doesn't seem to me to go into that at all. I, I know Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson, they love Kong. They, they, yeah. they, they find him this beautiful monster. And in all other versions, I feel like that, that, that ideal is somewhat reciprocated or in the end, at least with the, the relationship between Kong and Anne there, she at least cares about Kong, but mm-hmm. I don't, I think that's completely absent in the original. And I find that really interesting because the influence has been the opposite. But for, for me, when at the end, they, that the famous line that it was beauty that killed the beast, it rings kind of hollow for me with this particular movie, because I don't see that there. I see what everyone sees, you know, down the line having done it, but I don't, I don't see Kong as this romantic creature in this film. I mean, he saves her life uh, sure. in, in a few instances. So I think from the I, I'm also not talking about the, the romance between Anne and Kong. I'm just talking about Kong as a, uh, a romanticized creature in general. Like the, he's this yeah. great gentle beast. And and you're right. He does save her. He does seem to have some weird connection to her. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's not... Well, the same I think, comparisons get made to Carlos Frankenstein, but in Frankenstein, you can see that you have that mm-hmm. you have some of these moments where he is trying to, to figure these things out. And I, I think that's one of my disconnects with Kong in general is I don't see the character that everyone else sees. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to explain it to you, but some people out there, maybe who feel similarly, you know, uh, I think it's your just reaction to his character and, you know, the fact that he. Um, was taken out of the jungle uh, where he is very much in his element and, you know, master of his domain. He beats a ton of monstrous creatures uh, to save her life. And then as soon as he's carted to New York, you know, he climbs the tallest building, but he's just not prepared for, you know, modern warfare and things like that and, and pays with his life. And it's, uh, he is like a zoo animal, uh, that's brought here and and dies, you know, somewhat tragically. And I got to say brutally, I think that was also cut in the original version, but him falling off the building. You know, so, you know, you you kind of feel for for Kong in, in that element is definitely I will agree with you played up to the millionth degree much more in the sequels or reboots. But oh, yes, 100%. he is. It is a tragedy that this, you know, one of a kind creature uh, dies in the movie. And it's interesting because it's so unlike the start of a lot of other kaiju films where the monster is kind of unrepentant and kind of a force of nature that is is unleashed on man, whereas man is kind of unleashed on Kong at the end of this movie. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. It's it's I mean it's amazing legacy. I know we've talked about it a lot already. Uh, if I stop one hundred list, that kind of thing. But um, <laughs> it's so many influences. Uh, one of which is you know without King Kong, we might not have Super Mario. We might not have Nintendo as we know it because he influenced uh, Donkey Kong, <laughs> the the video game character where where uh, Mario came from. You know that's just like one small example of you know, a, a ripple effect that the, mm-hmm. this movie had in, in popular culture. Um, I mean, there's dozens, <laughs> dozens of examples, but we have a, a legacy of uh, two or three reboots, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, some, some sequels to those films. We have a sequel to this film, but uh, we, we, we can't talk. <laughs> we can't talk all season or all podcast long about just King Kong because this is just it's like an appetizer for the history of, of Kaiju cinema, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty amazing one, but uh we, we've gotta we've gotta end this episode and we've gotta continue on our journey after this, Miles. But you know what we have to do before we do that. We've gotta rate this baby. It's our first official rating uh for for kaiju cinema and we while we watch this movie we're, we're taking notes 
Uh, we're going to use a scale between one and 10 for kind of three factors, our personal engagement and enjoyment, just as the movie as a whole. Uh, we're going to take a look at its technical, its aesthetic elements. You know, that includes acting and things like that. Uh, but also the evocative responses this kind of film creates, its contributions to the genre, um, the emotions it generates as a piece of art. And we're going to combine those, and uh, we each have a personal rating for the film. Um, Miles, do you want to start? You want me to? You can go ahead and start. Uh, so personally, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I enjoy rewatching it, looking into it historically. But it, it does feel, you know, like an early talky film, which is what it is. And having it multiple times, I can watch it. I do enjoy it. But it's definitely not my favorite kaiju movie. <laughs> uh, so for for personal enjoyment, I gave it a eight out of ten, which is pretty high. It's not perfect. Uh, technically, though, it's going to take like twenty years to top this film. I don't think they realized how ahead of the time they were. It's a stunning technical achievement. It is a work of art, and for for on that element, I can realize that this is a ten out of ten movie. In, in that respect. And then adding to the probably the audience's reaction at the time and how beloved this film still is today. Um, emotionally, I feel that uh, I mean, this movie has had such a huge impact, inspired so many things because of its its effect. It inspired multiple generations, and I think it almost transcends transcends the medium of film it, it it goes into another realm uh so for for that i'm giving that a nine out of ten and averaging that together my final score is king kong is a nine out of ten movie uh an exceptional example of the genre before the genre was even established not perfect but very close in my book so for me, <laughs> mm -hmm. my, my, per, my personal is probably not going to make me any, any friends for my first review. I'm not a massive King Kong fan. And, and until recently, honestly, I really haven't been. Um, the MonsterVerse series of movies have, have endeared me a little bit more oh. to him. And I've, I've liked, I liked Peter Jackson's Kong. Um, but for whatever reason, giant, giant apes have just never excited my, my imagination. Mm -hmm. And so for, for, for that part of that reasoning, I'm not as wowed by the character of King Kong as, as many people are. So when taking into my personal enjoyment of this movie, I think this movie is a great a pulp adventure film. I think it's a, a great monster movie. I have fun when I watch it, but I don't often seek this movie out other than to have a sort of like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this movie either academically or I'm in a, a mood for, you know, reliving some history uh so for that reason i i kind of put this at a, I, I initially gave it a six but I, I, that seems too too low so for me personal enjoyment is seven out of ten mm -hmm. um for technical I, I i don't disagree i think this film is an absolute masterpiece it was a masterpiece when it came out it it is still a technical wonder it is a absolute milestone uh of an achievement in the actual making of of genre film and especially of, of monster film and out, outside of the snake, which I, I, you know, gave it some guff <laughs> for, I mean, all the creatures look incredible. The, the way the film is shot, it doesn't matter how good or, or not good any of the, any of the actors are because the spectacle is what matters in, in this film. And we're, we're here for the eighth wonder of the world. And I feel that this movie delivers it. That's a 10 out of 10, a hundred percent. And I'm I'm also on the same page with you emotionally. I think at the at the time of this movie's release, I think it was an incredible achievement. I think people would have been it would be like going to the fair or 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 better. Like this was an event, the likes of which no one had seen before. And you know, we we still have event movies sometimes. It's gotten a little more watered down at the blockbusters are are are, are almost an entire season now, but we still have event movies. So the first gigantic event film. Yeah. I mean, I think this movie is absolutely invaluable in, in, in that aspect. So uh, I'm, I'm giving that a nine out of 10, um, which 
technically makes my score like an 8.66 repeating. Uh, Patrick is insisting that I, I round it up to, to nine. Well, no, if we if we average uh, 8.66 and, and my nine, we I mean, that's like 8.75. We're going to round that to nine as our <laughs> total podcasts final verdict, which, you know, I I. I thought it would be pretty high. Um, uh, I mean, you and I, our personal enjoyment was a little over there, but it's just such an achievement for yeah. 88 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no matter how you feel about this movie or how I feel about this movie, you cannot argue against what's in front of you on the screen. Like <sighs> it's, it's, it is a work of art. It absolutely is. I, I don't have to like it to, to recognize that, but I'm, I'm curious what everyone else's, uh, opinions of of the original King Kong are. I, I, I gotta say, I mean, it 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 doesn't hit right for some people just because it it does feel a little older, you know, it's black and white. And well, I'm always not one that's beholden to just because something did something first means they did it the best, or it means mm. it's the best thing. Like like yes, this did inspire so many other things, but we would have gotten monster movies. We absolutely would have. Oh yeah, like but it's still it's 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 a it's great still an achievement. Pickoff. I agree. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. I just I have I have I have a, a movie friend who like berates me constantly by my not being so enthusiastic about 1933's King Kong. <laughs> um, but but that's going to do it for this week's episode. Yeah, we got I, it. Nine out of ten. I really want to. Yes. It, King Kong officially nine out of 10. But what I want to know are your personal thoughts and opinions on this film. So please tell us on Twitter at Kaiju versus history. Email us with any questions, comments, concerns, or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus history at gmail.com or go to Kaiju versus history.com to get ready for the next installment of our March through monster movie mayhem. Thank you to my co-host Patrick and listeners. We'll catch you next time on Kaiju versus History. Next week, we have the direct sequel to King Kong, which is almost impossibly came out less than 10 months later, still in 1933. Join us next week for History versus Son of Kong.